Lots of channels, nothing to watch, especially if you're searching for the truth. It's time to interrupt your regularly scheduled programs with something actually worth watching. Salem News Channel, straightforward, unfiltered, with in-depth insight and analysis from the greatest collection of conservative minds like Hugh Hewitt, Mike Gallagher, Sebastian Gorka, and more. Find truth. Watch 24-7 on SNC.TV and on Local Now, Channel 525. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. This great nation will endure as it has endured. Let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on earth. You are about to embark upon the great crusade toward which we have striven these many months. The eyes of the world are upon you. The hopes and prayers of liberty-loving people everywhere march with you. We're not, as some would have us believe, doomed to an inevitable decline. I do not believe in a fate that will fall on us no matter what we do. I do believe in a fate that will fall on us if we do nothing. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. From every mountainside, let freedom ring, and if America is to be a great nation, this must become true. So let freedom ring. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is Always Right Radio on AM 1420, The Answer. Here's your host, Bob Fratz. Yes, indeed it is, and a good morning to you. Eight minutes after the hour of 9 o'clock, and we're rolling on a Thursday. It is also the eighth morning of the ninth month. How about that? Uh, in the year of our Lord, 2022. Let's not waste the day. Let's make the most of it. We have a lot of very important things to discuss this morning. Starting, well, first let me just lay it out with you uh, for you in terms of our guests. We're very heavy today. And all of the uh, interviews that we have scheduled for this morning matter. Coming up this morning in a half an hour at 9.35, we're going to have Jack Windsor back on. We just talked to Jack yesterday, but we're going to talk to Jack again today with good reason. The uh, Secretary of State in uh, the state of Ohio has dropped a bomb on the big hat. You remember the hat, right? Yeah, his two qualifications for running for governor was a really tall hat and a really long beard. That makes him an outsider. That means he should be governor. Uh, All Joe Blystone did, in addition to fleecing his donors, all he did, in addition to violating countless numbers of uh, uh, election finance laws, all he did was get in the way of getting rid of Mike DeWine. That's what the big hat did. He was a fraud from the start. He remains a fraud to this day. And now um, 
the Secretary of State has uh, said, boom, the bomb has been dropped. Uh, he has got a lot of uh, things that he's going to have to atone for. He's going to face criti- uh, criminal prosecution. Jack Windsor has the story. He got it yesterday. He uh, put it on the uh, Ohio Press Network page last night. You can see that right now if you go to my webpage, alwayswrite.us. You can click the link and read the story for yourself. But Frank LaRose sent the, sent the uh, uh, letter to Joe Blystone and Friends of Blystone, uh, the pack that essentially took a whole lot of money and did a whole lot of things that weren't legal with it. He's in some trouble. He's in some serious trouble. He's going to have to acknowledge it. He's going to have to pay it back, or he's going to face criminal prosecution. Big story from Jack Windsor coming up at 935. At 1010, Dr. Everett Piper joins us, as he does each and every Thursday. Uh, Dr. Piper, of course, gives us um, the latest on our culture wars. He really is a true leader uh, in the culture wars. And uh, today, Dr. Piper is going to be talking about American school curriculum, garbage in, garbage out, and... One of the more disturbing in what has become just a regular, frequent, and increasing number of classroom teachers online telling the world about the grooming, the indoctrinating, and the recruiting into bizarre, deviant, perverted lifestyles uh, is. This, they, they, there it is. Um, it's, it's out there. It is really, really hard to comprehend that this is okay and that they're bragging about it, but they are. And we're going to talk to Dr. Piper about that. This one, by the way, is about a teacher in California boasting of her in-classroom queer library, which includes plenty of book selections on orgies, BDSM, which I think is bondage domination, maybe, and I think sadomasochism. I'm not 100% sure on the BDSM. I think that's what it stands for. And kink. And I don't think we need a definition for that. It's it's it speaks for itself. So Dr. Piper on those stories at ten ten, and then at eleven ten, Patrick Wood, Citizens for Free Speech, my organization, going to be back with us to talk about this bombshell ruling by a federal judge that has ordered Dr. Fauci, that little elf, as my uh, Ron DeSantis calls him, that forces Dr. Fauci and White House spokeswoman Karine Jean Pierre, who's Black and gay. Did, did we did we mention that that she's black and gay? That has to be announced. This is a huge part of the Biden administration when they appointed her, not on qualifications, but on blackness and gayness. So you need to know that they have to answer for the censorship that they allegedly promoted uh, in a collusionary effort with the big tech companies. This is a massive story. The lawsuit has been filed by two attorneys general. Attorney Attorneys General in um, uh, Louisiana and uh, Missouri. And that has been joined by civil rights organizations as well, that lawsuit. And now a judge has ordered the, the uh, all documentation of any correspondence whatsoever between these individuals and the big tech companies that were included uh, in the effort to censor and silence things that they did not want out. Uh, that is there now. Um, uh, that is ordered, rather, uh, and they've got 21 days to comply. It's a big deal. So it's a huge moment for free speech, huge moment for the First Amendment, and that's why Patrick Wood will be joining us. So there's the layout for you. You don't want to miss any of those interviews, seriously. So you might as well just put your feet up uh, and lock it in and stay here for the next two and a half, three hours. Uh, 216-901-0945 is the number for you to join me. 888 will get you here as well. But don't forget to tune in for Jack Windsor, Dr. Everett Piper, and Patrick Wood 
from Citizens for Free Speech. Now, before we get into the lead story of the day, which is Democrat lawlessness and Democrat softness on crime leading to dead bodies in Memphis, before we get into all of that, let's pledge our allegiance to this great country and our attempt, our goal, our mission to restore it to greatness after the attack on it that has uh, that has pervaded over the course of the last uh, year and a half. So, uh, patriots, please stand. Face your flag if you have one. If you don't have one, imagine one. But put your hand on your heart and join us for the pledge. If you are a believer in turning murderers loose uh, after serving less than a third of their jail sentences in order to allow them to go out and start shooting people at random, well, then you're a Democrat who doesn't believe in that flag anyway. You have no earthly idea what a republic needs to stand. So you are exempted from the request to pledge your allegiance to it. You may instead take a knee next to your favorite ex-quarterback, your favorite ex-soccer player with the pink hair, and your favorite ex-WNBA player now serving a nine-year contract with the Russian national team in a prison. Uh, For the rest of us, however, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. So, the story, as you probably know it by now, uh, after last night, is just, um, it's just sickening. And this is what happens when you have Democrat laws. Let me rephrase. When you have Democrat interpretation of laws and Democrat perversion of the legal system, particularly the criminal justice system, and you rank and you promote and you value equity in the number of prisoners in prison over justice and over safety for the public at large. Because that is the only way to define and describe what happened in Memphis. The mayor of Memphis correctly declared last night, this is unacceptable. We should not be terrorized. End quote. He said this talking about the suspect that got out of jail less than a third of his sentence having been served after a ridiculously soft plea bargain for a murder. 11 months into a three-year sentence for a first-degree murder charge that was pleaded down to aggravated assault, all in an attempt, of course, to reform the criminal justice system. We have to give these people who are killers an opportunity to go out there and not kill anymore. And if we guess wrong and they go out and kill some more, well, we'll apologize. But that is what happened last night. And yesterday in Memphis, Tennessee, that is the reality of it. They took somebody who was in in prison, should have been in prison, probably for life for a first-degree murder, amended that down, pled that down to an ag assault, gave him only three years, and then didn't even make him serve the three years, for goodness sakes. This is no way for us to live, and it is not acceptable. The people of our city were confronted with the type of violence no one should have to face. No one should have to face, but they were forced to face 
by weak judges and soft-on-crime prosecutors who look for the easiest way out, especially as the call for criminal justice reform continues. So the mayor announced it very directly and said, if the criminal justice system had worked, if this individual had been forced to serve his three years, which was already soft, four Memphis residents and citizens would still be alive today. But instead, they're not. Ezekiel Kelly, also accused of two armed carjackings that happened as he attempted to flee from police, allegedly shot and killed four people, injured three others in his rampage yesterday afternoon and into the evening. The string of shootings was live-streamed on Facebook. The suspect was taken into custody following a major manhunt later last night. Police confirmed to Fox News that Kelly was arrested after crashing a stolen car. Police said multiple felony charges are pending against Kelly, who has that previous criminal history. Strickland revealed he was charged with attempted first-degree murder, but pled guilty to downgraded aggravated assault in April of 2021, sentenced to three years, served 11 months. The rampage comes less than six months after he was allowed back on the streets of Memphis. If he served his full three, he would be in prison today and four people would still be alive. These evil actions, Strickland said, show why truth in sentencing is a must and we should do all we can to make our city safe. We must unite around this principle and stand up to the challenge of violent crime in our city, end quote. Now, I will go on and add to that the obvious. It's not just his city. It is big cities in this country, almost exclusively and certainly overwhelmingly, big blue cities led by Democrat mayors, in counties and districts that are overwhelmingly run by or or uh, supposedly kept safe by liberal blue democrat prosecutors and have liberal blue soft on crime judges on their benches that's where people are being killed and you know the overwhelming number of people being killed in those cases in those cities are the overwhelming racial demographic of those urban areas Minorities, black people, the overwhelming number of victims are black, which of course forces this question to be addressed by the leftist prosecutors and the leftist judges that continue the soft on crime policies that get these people killed. The question is, do black lives matter or not? Because black lives have to matter all of the time when they're taken, not just when they're taken in a confrontation with police officers. And the reality is they care more about the quote-unquote diversity and equity numbers in the criminal justice system in the prisons than they do about keeping black people in these urban communities where the vast overwhelming majority of the violent crime takes takes place safe. They don't want to keep them safe. Because to keep them safe, they have to crack down on people who look like them. That's these. This is not debatable or arguable. It's not ambiguous either. 
the overwhelming over 90% of black victims in violent crimes are, are victimized by black perpetrators. In the same way that the overwhelming number, not quite the same numbers, but a very overwhelming number of white victims are uh, um, victimized by white perpetrators. The difference being the sheer raw numbers. 13% of the population is African American, yet 50% of the nation's murders are committed by that, that demographic. Over 60% of the violent crimes, we're talking about robberies and assaults and rapes, committed by 13% of the population, and if you want to be truthful about it, more like 6.5% of the population, because it's almost always African American males. They're victimizing African Americans in their communities. Do Black Lives Matter or not? And if they do, when is somebody going to go to the Democrat prosecutors, the Democrat judges, that are turning people like this Ezekiel Kelly free after 11 months, and say, stop it? He's traumatizing, terrorizing our community. He's traumatizing and terrorizing and killing black people. Because that's, again, overwhelming majority. The overwhelming majority. doesn't mean in every case, but the overwhelming majority of victims of these of African-American killers who have been let out of prison early or not sentenced to prison at all or not given a cash bail so that they can just be set free the moment they're actually um, charged. They're arraigned, said no bail, then they go out and then they commit crimes while they're on bail. And the overwhelming victims of them are black. So do black lives matter or not? And if they do, when are we going to do something about this in the blue American cities? Shooting, number one, 1 a.m., 24-year-old man shot and killed in his driveway. Shooting number 2, 7.23 p.m. Woman carjacked, fatally shot. These, this is the timeline of the shooting spree in Memphis. Shooting number... No, I'm sorry, that was shooting number 5. I skipped. Uh, shooting number 2 was a man shot and killed inside his car. 4.36 p.m. Shooting 3, woman shot in the leg. On Norris Road, southbound ramp to Interstate 240. That was 4.35 p.m. Shooting 4... Took place at 6 p.m. Suspect live streaming that on Facebook as a man is critically wounded in an auto zone on Jackson Avenue. Shooting number five, a woman carjacked and fatally shot at Poplar Avenue and North Evergreen Street. The street that at 7:23. Shooting number six was just one minute later. Police responding to another shooting at Poplar and Evergreen with a man taken to the hospital in non-critical condition. Shooting number seven was at 8:55 last night. A woman shot dead. 800 block of West Rain Street in Memphis. Shooting number eight happened uh, where? Oh, uh, number eight was the carjacking at 8:56 p.m. Dodge Challenger carjacked on State Line Road on Highway 51. The owner was not injured there, and that was at 8:56 p.m. And then at 8:58 last night, arrested. Police arrested Ezekiel Kelly at Hodge and Ivan Road and took him into custody. Now the question is, is how long is it going to be before the left-wing judges and left-wing uh, prosecutors decide, you know, no bail and let him go? And, of course, I say that only moderately tongue-in-cheek because of the way things have gone. Do we care about crime in America or not? And, 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 and I'm just going to say this, not to blatantly politicize this, but I'm going to blatantly politicize this. Remember this stuff in November when you vote Democrat, you vote for lawlessness, you vote for violent crime, you vote for soft on crime 
uh, judges, soft on crime prosecutors, soft on crime legislators that will do nothing to to uh, uh, stamp this down and bring it back under control. Just know that. When you vote Democrat in November, you vote for this type of violence. And I'm sorry to be political, but that's the reality of the situation. I welcome your thoughts at 216-901-0945 and 888-281-1110. It's 926. This is Always Right Radio on AM 1420. The Answer. You know... Some, some, some responses to this type of horrific event are just beyond uh, comprehension, including the, uh, the genius who responded to this shooting spree by saying, quote, where were all the good guys with guns? Oh, wait, good guys with guns is a load of happy horse blank fed to us by people who are fine with this sort of thing becoming routine with children as common victims. I'm not even going to begin to do, to address the stupidity of that statement, the stupidity of it. How was this shooting spree stopped? The same way all shooting sprees are stopped, when good men with guns catch up to the bad guy with the gun. Because when the good guys with guns got there, Ezekiel Kelly surrendered, because guns were on the scene. If the officers had showed up there with just, uh, you know, I, I don't know, um, non-lethal weapons, guess what? They would have been shot by the bad guy with guns. The good guys with guns are either going to shoot the bad guy with a gun and end his threat, or he will surrender and become arrested to end the threat. Either way, that's how it works. And by the way, to the point about the minorities... The Memphis Flyer reports that 88% of the homicide victims in the city of Memphis, Tennessee, are black. 88% on an annual basis of the homicide victims are black. And crime statistics reported nationwide prove that over 90% of the killers of African Americans are also African American. So I ask, once again, BLM... Leftist community, do black lives matter or not? Or do they only matter when a police officer is involved? We'll take a time out here for news now at 9.30. We'll come back. We're going to talk to Jack Windsor about something entirely different. We're coming back home to Ohio, and the big hat is in some big trouble. That's next on AM 1420, The Answer. Slumber, always right radio with Bob France on The Answer. All right, 9.37 on a Thursday. Thanks for being with us. The big hat is in some big trouble. I literally said that on his Facebook page yesterday. He and his supporters don't like that, but it's the reality of it. Uh, he ran on nothing but a big hat and a long beard. Uh, and look at that. I'm not a politician, therefore vote for me. Screwed the entire thing up. Is going to give us another four years of Mike DeWine, but... Aside from that, he broke a bunch of laws, at least according to Frank LaRose. 
the Ohio Secretary of State. Jack Windsor joins us now from the Ohio Press Network. Jack was with us yesterday for a full 20 minutes plus on his regular Wednesday commentary segment, segment but uh, I asked him to come in and put in, put in some OT today because uh, he's the one who broke this last night. Uh, he sent me a, a copy of the letter and a copy of the article, and it is now posted at the OhioPressNetwork.com page and linked to my page at uh, AlwaysWrite.us. Jack Windsor, thanks for coming back, man. How are you? Bob, I'm super fantastic. Give me a second. Let me fold up this cot here in the studio and put it away. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Come on, clean that mess up, man. That's your corner. Uh, <laughs> it's good right. to be back. Uh, hopefully uh, our, our listeners aren't tired of us. Or not you, of course, but not tired of me. Um, no. Look, big story. Um, LaRose basically said to Joe Blystone yesterday, surrender your campaign cash, admit you intentionally broke the law, don't run for four years, and we won't recommend to the Ohio Election Commission that you get referred for criminal prosecution. If you don't want to do that, Joe Blystone, we're going to suggest to the Ohio Election Commission tomorrow, which is today, I believe this hearing is going to happen in about an hour and 20 minutes, they're going to suggest that Joe Blystone uh, be referred over for uh, criminal prosecution in Franklin County. And that stems from those 13 potential election law violations uh, that LaRose's office handed over to the OEC in late July. So, Jack, break that down for me a little bit. I think there were three elements to option one for Joe Blystone there. Mm-hmm. Uh, one was, uh, part of that was uh, surrender campaign funds. Part of that was admit you broke the yeah. law. Part of that was don't run anymore for four more years. Start, start with the first one. Yeah. Surrender campaign funds. How much? What are yeah. we talking about here? Well, so he was, Joe, uh, friends of Joe Blystone, the campaign, they were required to file uh, a post-midterm report, and uh, that was filed on, I believe, June 10th. The balance in that account then was $176,692.21. Now, in the letter that LaRose sent to uh, Friends of Blystone yesterday, signed by the uh, election law expert Brian Katz from LaRose's office, um, it stated, hey, we recognize you're going to have to wind that account down. You're gonna, you know, you have account balances, debts you need to pay off. But if you, uh, after this letter try to drain that account, this offers off the table, and we will seek prosecution. So I don't know what is in that account, but as of June, it was $176,692. Wow. So that's that's an awful lot of money. Um, maybe not to a millionaire farmer. I don't know. Uh, but that is an awful lot of money to have been accused or, according to the Secretary of State, you know, uh, convicted or at least believed to have been, uh, you know, illegally obtained and illegally used as a part of a campaign. That's an awful lot of money. Uh, part two of part two of option one, or option A, if you will, was to admit intentionally violating campaign finance laws. In other words, he can't just pay this money back, Jack, and say, "Look, uh, you know, his his standard line is." Well, I'm just a farmer. What do I know about running a campaign? He used that line with me. He used that line with other people, uh, just trying to plead ignorance. I didn't know what was going on. I didn't know what we were doing. It's an honest mistake. LaRose is saying you can't claim honest mistake here. You have to admit what you did. That's that's pretty, I don't want to say unprecedented, but that's pretty unusual, isn't it? You know, to be really transparent, I have not, uh, up until this past year, really uh, had scrutiny on the Ohio Election Commission. Based on what people who have tell me, yes, it is a little bit unusual. And I think what it would do is uh, I think it might be designed to take out, uh, you know, to, to deflate 
uh, Joe Blystone's support and goodwill among Ohio voters. Because if he comes out and says, you know, I did intentionally do this, that doesn't, that no longer, uh, I guess, corroborates what you just said. Hey, I'm just a simple farmer. Because now he's forced to say, no, I was a simple farmer, but I knew, I knew I was skirting the law. I knew I was cutting corners. I knew I wasn't doing it right. But, you know, Joe Blystone responded last night. And uh, he said regarding the letter from LaRosa's office, um, despite his hyperbole and generalized accusations, Katz's letter fails to provide a single specific allegation, uh, no less a single proven fact. So it does not appear as of last night that Joe Blystone by 10 or 11 o'clock today uh, is going to admit that he intentionally um, uh, took campaign funds and didn't report them the right way. Well, I don't want to say took. I'm not saying he took them. I'm saying he didn't report them the right way intentionally. Let me correct that. Got it. Got it. You know what it does, Jack? I mean, it takes away his martyrdom. If if he says, yeah, I knew what I was doing, and yeah, we uh, we didn't do it the right way because we didn't think we had to, we didn't care, whatever, he takes away the, his martyrdom. He can't plead, yeah. I'm the innocent victim here of this massive conspiracy to stop an outsider by the establishment, uh, you know, uh, state that supports DeWine. La Rosa is no different than than uh, no different than DeWine, etc. I mean, you, you mentioned he, he responded on Facebook, quote. LaRose and his goon squad looks to intimidate. Our campaign has been working expeditiously to fulfill all questions regarding finance. We also have a third party carrying out a full audit. Then later he tweeted, or uh, Facebook posted again, LaRose runs an unethical office like a mob boss. I will not be intimidated. So his only... His only way of keeping alive maybe his hopes of, of re-entering this game again in four years and trying to run for governor again is to maintain his support. And the only way he maintains his support is to play the victim, to play the martyr, to turn Frank LaRose and the Ohio Elections Commission into the mob that is trying to shut down this good, honest, uh, hard-working farmer. Well, two points there, Bob. You know, the idea that uh, it was hyperbole, the letter, and that it fails to provide a single specific allegation. Well, that's because it's an offer to settle. The facts were the 13 referrals, a document of over 100 pages, sent to the OEC in late July by LaRose's office. So it seems that he's confusing a settlement letter uh, with the 13 referrals. Those facts are there. Now, those are facts as the secretary sees them. I'm not saying that they're going to be the end facts, but I'm saying that's what the secretary alleges. Um, so, right, it's interesting that that's the position. But here's the other point. Those things don't have to be mutually exclusive. I'm not trying to tarnish uh, Frank LaRose. I'm not saying that Frank LaRose is good, bad, or indifferent. I'm saying that somebody, you know, may not do things the way that you like, and if you want to investigate that and things come out and it gets reported, then maybe that is correct. Uh, maybe, you know, things didn't get done in the secretary's office. And I'm saying this just for the sake of example. But that does not mean that you didn't follow the election laws correctly. So those things are not mutually exclusive. I don't know. You know, that would be like um, if my daughter comes home from school today and says, you know, uh, Jenny did this, Dad, so I did it. I, I mean, Bob, we've all had, we've said this line a hundred times. Well, if she jumped off a bridge, would you? No, you you are an adult. You control your responses to situations. And I think that's the, the interesting part is that it seems, you know, his defense is, well, you know, Frank LaRose is worse than I am. Okay, nobody's maybe going to argue that. Maybe they will. But that does not go to the crux of the issue, which is uh, how do you 
uh, answer to these 13 referrals. And by the way, if it is a third party audit carrying, you know, a third party carrying out a full audit, why are we waiting until September 9th to do that when these questions came up in you know, November, December of last year? Very, very good points as well. We're talking to Jack Windsor. See, we bring Jack on to make all of these good points, and we push them all together. We've got ourselves a good story, uh, and this is a great story. Um, uh, part three of of option A for for Joe Blystone, according to Secretary of St- Secretary of State Frank LaRose, is also don't run for office for at least four years. I, I look at that and I think so. Uh, that that's not really much of a. A deterrent or or maybe rather maybe better said it's not much of an incentive for him to admit these things and pay that money back because i can't see him running for state senate or state uh, representative or or mm. mayor or anything else if he runs for anything again it's going to be like i said before another bite at that governor's apple which isn't for four years anyway so is that much of a deterrent or is that well a- i'm going to look at that two ways one someone said to me once you know joe blystone was a great rally and maybe he should have run for uh, you know the state house. Maybe he didn't. So once he's run for governor, you know, taking a step back to something else, it, it might not bode well, right? But here's the other point: I, I don't know all of the mechanics of that offer. Uh, for example, when does that decision get made? Is it September of 2022? Well, you know, the gubernatorial race starts well before uh, four years. It starts what two and a half, three years out. Yeah. So if he's barred from running in that race, he can't, right? So there would be at least one full election cycle, it would seem. And then, you know, maybe eight years down the road, he can do that if he maintains, you know, what you call his martyrdom, his, you know, strong support on social media. Maybe he runs again in, in, in eight years. I don't know, but not in four. I, uh, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna assume differently there. It's just a gut feeling. I feel like what they're saying is, you know, what he's saying rather when he says you can't run for four years, that means you can't, you know, run and take an office within four years. I think if, if, you know, the 2026 gubernatorial election comes up, he's going to be allowed to campaign for it in 2024 and 2025. Um, I, I feel like that because, you know, the, the terms of, in, in other words, or maybe better stated, Frank LaRose needs to be very, very clear about that. You can't take the yep. office within four years, or you can't run, even campaign for an office for four years. He's going to have to be very clear on that if, indeed, there is a settlement and Blystone agrees uh, to to surrender those funds, make the admission, et cetera. He's going to have to be very clear on that, because I kind of feel like they'd be saying, no, it doesn't mean you can't campaign, but you can't be in office. You can't do anything for four years. Yeah, you know, uh, point well taken, and it'll be interesting to see how that shakes out. I don't know uh, what their intent is. I did have some communication with uh, Rob Nickel yesterday, just back and forth confirming the letter, uh, but I didn't get to dive in on that. That might be something that I ask, uh, but who knows? Who knows how far down the road they go today? It'll be interesting to see what happens after this morning's hearing. So nearly two hundred grand. Uh, an admission yep. that I did it on purpose and my campaign mm-hmm. did it on purpose, which would really, really deflate his uh, defenders. Uh, and you can't run for four years. Or option B was be referred to a prosecutor for criminal prosecution. Jack, mm-hmm. um, there's no guarantee that those 13, I think you, you made that clear before, that those 13 items outlined, uh, violations outlined by Frank LaRose are going to be uh, enough for a prosecutor to say, yeah, we're going to indict, we're going to push on these things. And there's no no certainty that if there is a trial, um, you know, that, that he would be convicted. Um, 
my gut once again, and I've got a gut, so I can uh, kind of trust it. Uh, <laughs> um, I've got the dad tells, bod too, Bob. No worries. <laughs> my gut tells me he's going to choose option B. He's going to he's going to roll the dice here and say, "Go ahead, bring yep. it," uh, and he's going to hire some criminal defense attorneys and try to get out of this thing. Yeah. So what'll be interesting, though? Wow. Let's hit that first. I don't want to bury the lead on that. If right. Joe Blystone rolls the dice and this gets referred over for criminal prosecution. There is an Ohio Election Commission opinion that came out, I want to say somewhere around 2006, that dealt with, I believe at the time it was a Hamilton County prosecutor who was in office, who was sued and used campaign funds to defend himself. The OEC said, "Uh -uh uh-uh-uh, you can't do that. That's an illegal use of funds. So if Joe Blystone does get referred for criminal prosecution and he wants to fight it, he cannot use uh, those election funds, and if he does, I would expect that there would be more alleged violations uh, added to the pile. However, I don't know what his financial situation is like. Maybe he has, uh, you know, revenue-rich and extremely profitable enterprise, and he can fund that. Uh, but I would expect that would be, a, you know, a pretty expensive endeavor. The other issue is they listed two cases, they being Cass and uh, LaRosa's office, in their letter yesterday, uh, in the state of Ohio versus John Clark and state of Ohio versus Trevor Elkins, uh, the former resulted in a 120 day jail sentence. The latter was a 30 day jail sentence and a fine. So, um, I need to d- dive into those cases a little more. I did not have time to get in and look at the, uh, you know, the, the decisions of the court to see if there is any similarity to this. Come on, um, Benzer, what have you been doing? Sleeping follow. overnight? I mean, geez. <laughs> Yeah, not well. That cop wasn't comfortable, Bob. But um, so yeah, it'll be interesting, right? But but Franklin County Prosecutor right, Zach Klein is a guy who's been extremely political. He's been political in favor of the extreme left. So you know, if this is a Soros-friendly type guy, I would think that puts Joe Blystone at at a higher risk of prosecution and serious investigation if this gets referred to Klein's office. That is a very, very good point. Um, And, boy, it really puts me in a conundrum. I don't want to see any Soros prosecutors anywhere near any courtrooms, to be honest with you. I certainly don't want to see them unfairly targeting conservative-minded individuals. But I also don't want to see people like Blystone get away with this kind of stuff, which I think really threw Ohio's gubernatorial primary into a massive mess. If he had not done this, if he had not uh, 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 you know, uh, taken those funds and used them the way that he did, he would never have had a campaign, and there probably would have been a massive show of support against Mike DeWine in the form of Jim Renacci. So I don't want want to see him get away with this either so if it comes down to a court showdown between a left-wing prosecutor and joe blystone that's a big mess i think for everyone yeah and just to be clear i don't i don't want to i don't want to insinuate that soros did in fact contribute to that prosecutor but i would say that that prosecutor's mindset is in lockstep with some other prosecutors around the country who I, have I, yeah soros that's fund. understood yeah I, I agree i you know I don't, I don't think anybody took it that way but uh but okay. th- that is that is the way that you know uh the left-wing prosecutor i just spent an entire segment on what's going on in tennessee or i mean yeah in tennessee and memphis in left-wing mm-hmm. prosecutors letting loose a uh you know an, uh, attempted murder or first degree murder or they dropped <laughs> pled down to a ag assault and then gave him only three years and then let him out after 11 months and then he's running around shooting everybody uh you know everybody he could find in memphis last night so, yeah, uh, whether Soros actually contributed or not, these is, this is the mindset of many of these prosecutors, and I've got a problem with that. 
Joe Blystone's got problems, too. That that hearing with the Elections Commission is in an hour. We'll find out whether or not he's going to uh, agree to what uh, uh, Frank LaRose gave him or if he is going to deny that and go ahead and face potential prosecution. And if anybody is all over the news on this, it will be Jack Windsor and the Ohio Press Network. Jack, uh, we'll look forward to following up with you on that. Thank you, my friend. Bob, always a pleasure. Thank you. You got it. Jack Windsor joining us. It's 954 right back on Always Right Radio. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. Welcome to Always Right Radio with Bob Frantz on AM 1420. The answer. Onward we roll now, eight minutes after 10 o'clock, as hour number two gets underway. It is the eighth morning of the ninth month in the year of our Lord, 2022. Appreciate you being with us. We'll keep you up to date on that Blystone story. The Elections Commission hearing is going to be going on here shortly. Jack Windsor is monitoring it very closely. He promises to keep me posted, so we'll let you know. If Blystone is going to be referred for criminal prosecution or if he is going to take the deal, the settlement deal offered by the Secretary of State, uh, pay back the money, admit his guilt, and um, agree not to run for statewide office for another four years. So those uh, are the, uh, those updates will be coming. Now we welcome our regular uh, hour number two guest on Thursdays, and that of course is our social, or excuse me, our culture war warrior, uh, Dr. Everett Piper, who is a best-selling author. He is uh, a weekly columnist for the Washington Times. He's a past university president. He is a podcast radio host in Oklahoma. His podcast, which you can find wherever you get your podcasts, is called The Rebellion. And most importantly, he's our regular weekly guest. Dr. Piper, good to have you back. How are you, sir? I'm doing well, Bob. Thanks for having me on. Always a pleasure. So um, we got a couple of different things. In fact, three things that I think I'd like to touch on here in our conversation today, Dr. Piper. And I suppose the best one to start with would be, as we always do, uh, your column in the Washington Times. This one is from September 4th, so it was from Sunday. And I want to talk a little bit a little bit about Geigo. Um, I remember when the computer revolution kind of really started. That was a term that people used and uh, got got you know used to for the very first time. Geigo stands for garbage in, garbage out. A computer can never do anything that a person doesn't tell it to. If you fill it with correct information, it will spit back correct information. If you fill it with garbage, it's going to give you garbage. That's reality. And the same is true of our schools and their curriculum. Tell us more. Well, often your show kind of primes the pump for me to consider what I want to write for the Washington Times. And we talked about a few of these things last week, and it it spurred me on to do a little bit more research to see what was in the news with regard to education. Now, this is a this is a hot button issue for me, obviously, because education was my entire career as a university president and an administrator prior to that. I believe in education. You know, I was a blue collar kid. I don't know if we've ever talked about that on your show. My dad did not have a high school diploma, neither did my mom. Um, I came from what some would call the other side of the tracks, if you will, hardworking, blue-collar family, and education gave me a way up and out. So I'm not contrary to education. I believe strongly in the power of a good education. But I also recognize what you just said, uh, garbage in, garbage out. Ideas always have consequences. There's no such thing as a neutral idea. Good ideas will bear good fruit for our culture and our kids, and bad ideas will bear the opposite. 
And what we're seeing in our schools across the country right now is just terrible education. It's garbage, pure and simple. We talked, I think, last week about Trinity Schools and this woman by the name of Jennifer Norris, who's the director of student activities at this prestigious school in New York City. They charge 60 grand a year to send your kids to this school. And this this woman is actually caught on Veritas um, uh, being stupid. Yeah, thank you. Project Veritas. She's being stupid. And she actually says she feels like a double agent and she's. Uh, she's uh, against white boys because they want to express their opposite opinions. That's her quote. Now, full stop right there. <laughs> a good education is about expressing opposite opinions. The truth can stand the debate. Truth will rise to the top if you allow people to have a good argument, a good robust exchange of ideas. And this woman is proudly saying that she's trying to shut down white boys because they want to express opposite opinions. This is just lunacy to the extreme. And then we've got El Paso, Texas, where uh, an English teacher is telling her students that they should stop calling pedophiles pedophiles and start calling them minor attractive persons. You know where that one's going. That idea will bear negative fruit, it's for sure. Chicago Public Schools, I think you brought this one up last week, where they're partnering with a local children's hospital and providing <laughs> pornography, essentially, to their students through the Chicago District school system. Rapid City, South Dakota. Uh, you, you think the heartland is immune from this? Oh, no. Rapid City, South Dakota, is promoting a new graphic novel called Fun Home, which includes various sexual acts and not limited to, but including oral sex and images of masturbation. Um, there's a book called Girl, Woman, and Other that celebrates various sexual uh, identities and gender identities, etc. And then I, I summarized my article this week by going to my own backyard, uh, Bixby, Oklahoma, near Tulsa. They're promoting um, gender queer and a new book called uh, Push. And you can actually Google Push, and it gives you excerpts out of the book. Uh, you, would, you would never have me back on your show if I quoted these excerpts. It's just awful. So this is the kind of stuff that's going on. And my point is, when you teach this stuff in your schools, you're going to have it in your culture. And you know, I cited in my article an event that's taking place in Bartlesville next week. It's a celebration of pride, and they're promoting it as a family-friendly event here in the heartland of Oklahoma, a family-friendly event with bouncy toys and all of this kind of stuff, and it's a drag queen performance here in Bartlesville, Oklahoma, and they're encouraging parents to bring their children and enjoy the carnival atmosphere. Again, you started it out by saying garbage in, garbage out, and that's exactly what it is. It is uh, all of those things. I, I, I've got. Let me follow up with another negative, uh, and then I want to give a little positive story about some of that, Doctor Piper. Um, one that didn't make your your article in time because it just came out yesterday. California San Juan Hills High School, California teacher there, who identi- her name is Danielle Serio, and she identifies herself by the name Flint. Apparently, apparently that's what she calls herself to her students and to parents and everybody. Sure, her name is Flint. She is on TikTok doing a video, as so many of these educators, and I use that term loosely and in air quotes, um, boasting about her queer library in her high school classroom. Now, let's all remember, high school students are generally 14, 15, 16, and 17 years old, maybe 18 for seniors. In other words, minors 
She's bragging about her queer library that is filled with over 100 books, many of which contain sexual imagery, some of which you just described, but more, including information and instructions on orgies, <clears throat> excuse me, orgies, sex parties, BDSM, which somebody had to tell me, I thought it was domination. The B is bondage, I knew that much. The D is not domination, it's, um, oh, doggone it, I forgot it already. Um, now you've caused me to go blank, too. It's, it's okay. <laughs> it, and the SM, I think, is sadomasochism, but somebody corrected right. me and sent me a note on it, but I forgot what the D was. Anyway, uh, and kink, um, specifically kink, that's just the thing. One of the books, Juliet Takes a Breath. Uh, by somebody named Gabby Rivera contains extremely graphic imagery of sex between women. Everything you ever wanted to know about being trans discusses, B, discusses BDSM, fetishes, and a kink social media networking site. So, and I'll stop there because the rest of it is just too ridiculous and, 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 and difficult to hear. But I'll just say that last part to me is all I need to know. A teacher in a public school in California is telling minors, 14, 15, 16, 17-year-old kids, how to hook up with other people via social media to have kink sex with one another. Um, literally, because this is in the book that she is promoting and that makes available to all of her students. And oh, by the way, while this is not in circulation in the school or the district's pub, uh, uh, libraries, it's only in her room, she said she is actively working on making that happen so that you don't have to come to her room to get these books. You can get them in the actual libraries. Uh, go ahead, Dr. Piper. Okay, I, it's interesting because I read that exact same article after you and I communicated last night as to what we might want to talk about. I was going to send it to you. That I thought, well, maybe maybe we've covered it <laughs> enough. So you're you're the one guilty of doubling down here. But you, you know what? You should. We shouldn't be backed away from this topic. The left will try to shame us. They will project their sins upon you and me and others that want to try to challenge this stuff, and they'll say crass things like well you guys must be you must have a problem you go you want to talk about this all the time well i'm not talking about it because i want to i'm talking about it because they won't let it be they keep trying to groom our children and shame on us if we get backed away from this topic because our children's hearts minds and souls are at risk here this th this library that this woman has in california is actually endorsed by the superintendent as i read the article uh, the media reached out to the school superintendent, or maybe it was the principal, I can't remember which, but the administrator in charge of this woman and her classroom and her curriculum was asked to respond, and his response was, well, I think any books are good. The more books we have, the better. Okay. Oh, really? Oh, really? These books are good? You're going to promote this kind of nonsense to 12, 13, 14, 15, 16-year-old children? You're going to groom them. You're going to indoctrinate them to put their bodies at risk. And also, as I read the article, this teacher also promotes bathhouses and saunas. She actually has maps where you can go to um, not good places, bad places. She's got maps across the country where you can go find bathhouses and saunas that accommodate all of this negative behavior. And, you know, even if I wasn't a conservative Christian, I should be speaking against this because everything we're talking about right now puts the health of these children at risk. I've said on your show before, the data that I've re researched indicates that almost 25% of millennial-age women currently carry an STD. Why? 
because we've encouraged them to engage in this nonsense. And that is not healthy for them. They're going to be sterile the rest of their lives, if not suffer greater physical consequences than that. Why in the world aren't secularists, atheists, who actually care about women, excuse me, speaking up and saying this must stop? Well, yeah, that that is the $64 billion question. Inflation has raised it to billion. Um, let me end with this part of our conversation with something positive. You, you told the story about Bartlesville, Oklahoma there, and the family-friendly, air quotes, uh, celebration coming uh, complete with drag queens, bouncy toys, fake money, presumably for parents to teach their children how to place dollar bills in the G-strings of men dressed as ladies in sexually suggestive outfits and so forth. They had one of those in Boise. And this is how I want to end this, with something good. Zion's Bank um, has withdrawn its sponsorship for the City of Boise's Pride Festival, which has advertised performances by child drag queens as young as 11 years old. Zion's Bank tweeted this out apparently yesterday. Christopher Rufo had this. Over the years, Zion's Bank has proudly supported, excuse me, I just inserted a word that wasn't there, has supported a variety of Pride events, because they are an important part of our support for our LGBTQ employees and allies and are representative of our efforts to foster an inclusive, diverse, and equitable workplace and community. This support for all of our employees and communities remains unchanged. However, when we committed to our sponsorship of this year's Boise Pride event, we were unaware of the event's activities involving children slash minors. Since learning of these specific activities, we have made the decision to withdraw our participation in this year's Boise Pride event and have communicated this to the event organizers. So, you know, Dr. Piper, for those who will, of course, jump uh, as high as they can to yell at you and call you a bigot, yell at me and call me a homophobe or a transphobe or a whatever phobe or whatever kind of bigotry they want, I want this to be our statement here. If you want to do your perverted things, you know, as an adult yourself, if you want to maim yourself, if you want to go in for elective butchery, otherwise known as surgery, to change your body, you know what, as an adult, that's on you. We live in a free country. All we have asked is stop dragging our children into that lifestyle. Stop indoctrinating them, grooming them, and recruiting them. And that's what this bank did here. So I'm going to count this as a win and hope that maybe it's the first of many to come, that organizations that do indeed say, hey, go be you, go do your thing, as long as you aren't dragging kids into it, I think that's something we can uh, maybe come to an agreement on. It, and and it is good for you for entering on a positive note here. And that's not the only story. We need to remember that Glenn Youngkin is uh, governor of Virginia right now because of this issue. I mean, it, arguably, it's this it's this nonsense that's going on in our schools and parents finally standing up and saying, no, no, not on our watch. We're not going to have this anymore, that we've got the political tides turning. The Republicans need to get off of allowing the Democrats to distract us by focusing on um, Donald Trump's Mar-a-Lago thing. And we need to start talking about the the things that are actually going to win elections for us. And we know that this stuff that you and I are talking about right now with regard to our schools and our children and protecting their innocence is a winnable uh, argument because it is working in um, purple states, blue states that shouldn't shouldn't be going our direction are because moms and dads are getting mad. 
Yeah, very, very well said. Dr. Piper, let's take our break here so we can come back and, and finish up with one more story. We're going to talk a little bit about fascism and who really is a fascist and uh, why that term has become the uh, the most popular slur and pejorative in the Democrats' um, uh, vernacular of late. Uh, we'll talk about that when we come back on AM 1420, The Answer. All right, we continue now. Uh, one more segment, a short one, with uh, Dr. Everett Piper, who is our lead culture warrior. Okay, Dr. Piper, fascism. Now, you didn't write this one. This was in the uh, uh, your newspaper in the Washington Times, but uh, you, did, uh, you did spotlight it for me. So let's talk a little bit about fascism. The Biden administration has decided that Americans who disagree with him and his point of view and his ideology um, are threats to democracy and, uh, as a matter of fact, enemies of the state. Um, he described them also as being fascist. And, of course, not wanting to draw the full-on wrath of those fascists, he tried to qualify it with, well, semi-fascist. Um, I don't know what a semi-fascist is compared to a regular fascist, but I think I do know what a regular fascist is. And I saw him on stage in Philadelphia one week ago, last Thursday, in front of a blood-red, satanic-looking backdrop, thundering and pounding his fists and declaring Americans who disagree with him enemies of the state. But that's just me. What about you? Well, okay. So this is what Democrats do. This is what the left does. They project their own sins upon you and me to distract from the fact that that's exactly what they're doing or what they intend to do or both. And that's what's happening right now with these ongoing drumbeats of fascism that are coming from the left, with Joe Biden being their puppet, and they're pulling his strings and telling him what to say. Ask yourself a question. Which party is more top-down and authoritarian right now? Which party believes in big government rather than small government? Which party believes in taking your personal rights away and making them subservient to Big Brother and the big state? Which party believes in dividing us against them and pitting one group against another? Okay, I think the answer is the Democrat Party checks the box on all of those big government uh, Machiavellian ideas. And that is fascism, or at least it's part and parcel of it. Now, historically, and I want to just make this clear. Some people remember this, some people don't. Where do we get the word fascism? It comes from the word fascist. A fascist was a Roman bundle of sticks bound together so tightly that it could not be broken. And we see a fascist in some of the freeze work of our monuments in Washington, D.C., for example. Often a fascist has a hatchet head attached to the top of it. Now, it represents the common bond of the United States, and that's a good thing. But when you take the fascist and you crush all opponents, all dissenting views... Everyone who doesn't look like you, act like you, talk like you, think like you, and march in lockstep with you, that's fascism. And that is exactly what the Democrat Party is doing right now. It's going to crush any dissent. They're going to cancel the opposition, cancel your voice, cancel your vote, cancel your input, make you look like you're the devil while they stand at a podium in blood red portraying themselves to be Lucifer himself. This is what Democrats do. They project onto their opponents, onto their enemy. It's a Saul Alinsky tactic. They create an enemy by saying that the enemy is doing things that they themselves intend to do or are currently doing. And that is what Joe Biden is doing at the podium right now. 
Dr. Piper, um, a lot of people have taken that blood red and black backdrop that he used, um, complete with Marines, by the way, as photo, you know, props. But, um, and they've, you know, photoshopped swastikas on the backdrop. Some have photoshopped hammer and sickle. Some have photoshopped Lucifer behind him and these kinds of things. Um, but those are memes. What was he really doing? Who, who, who in the Biden administration looked at that and said, here's what we're going to do. We're going to make this look like an unholy altar um, in a satanic ritual. I mean, that's what I saw. But again, I'm, you know, I'm predisposed to be negative about Joe Biden because for the last 19 months, I've had nothing but negativity from Joe Biden. What do you think, if you're, if you're trying to be as objective as you can, Dr. Piper, what was that? I... I don't think it's a mistake. Some people are saying they don't know what they were doing. I, I, I don't. I don't believe that. I this mean, was intentional. Uh, they knew. They knew exactly what they were doing. Here, I read an article. I won't t- claim this as an original thought, but I agree with the author, and I can't remember who it was right now. But he said, "Don't take the bait. This is bait, pure and simple. They're trying to get someone from right of center to rise up." and start encouraging violence because there you have it. These guys are fascists. They're actually, I mean, you could put Mussolini on that platform and it wouldn't look any different than Joe Biden. You could put Hitler up there. It wouldn't look much different. You could put a Sith from star Wars up there. It's the exact same thing. And that's all true. They're trying to bait us into responding with violence. Don't take the bait. Stay focused, stay focused on the winnable issues. We've already talked about one. And that is the, the issue of our children and our schools recognize that they don't want to talk about this, that kind of stuff. They want to talk about things that will bait us into a violent reaction. Don't do it. Good advice, as always. That's why we turn to Dr. Piper every week on Thursdays for that kind of advice, wisdom, and analysis. Dr. Piper, always a pleasure. Thank you for taking the time. I'll talk to you again next week. Blessing. Bye-bye. Right. 1031 now. So here's the deal. Um, we've got a gap. Our next guest isn't until 11.10 when we talk to Patrick Wood of CFFS, Citizens for Free Speech. The next half hour is wide open. I'm not going to restrict you and say it's got to be on this topic. I'll make this kind of an open lines half hour. Dial now, whichever of these subjects you wish to comment upon, 216-901-0945. We'll put you up, 888-281-1110. Comments, questions on this or anything else for the next half hour. I'll always write radio AM 1420 the answer. Keeping you informed among the uninformed. Always write radio with Bob France on the answer. 1037 now, Always Right Radio indeed. Thank you so much for being with us. Thanks to Dr. Piper. Terrific stuff. If you missed that interview, you're going to have to hear it on the uh, podcast page, alwayswrite.us, alwayswrite.us. Also, you go directly to whkradio.com to get that. Um, if you missed our first interview, <coughs> excuse me, if you missed our first interview, at 9.35, Jack Windsor updated us on uh, the Joe Blystone situation. He's in some heap big trouble with the Ohio Elections Commission and the Secretary of State for a multitude of campaign violations. The big hat in big trouble, and Jack will keep us posted on that as well. But that conversation is also worth your time. When the show is over, go back and listen to those. Uh, at the moment, listen to this, because this is just something that's really rather astounding. 
the press secretary for the president of the United States, for the Oval Office, for the White House, Karine Jean-Pierre, uh, did I mention she's gay and black? She's black and she's gay. She she wants you to know that right up front. Over any qualifications whatsoever, know that she's the first gay black press secretary in American um, uh, administrative history. So congratulations to her for that. So the black and gay press secretary, Karine Jean-Pierre, um, said this about Biden's blood-red, satanic-looking, we-hate-everybody-that-doesn't-agree-with-us speech uh, in Philadelphia last week. What I will say is... You know, when you go back to the speech, uh, his speech last Thursday, uh, you know, people have talked about uh, if it was divisive. It wasn't divisive. The way. (laughs) I'm sorry. It wasn't divisive at all. (laughs) You're the enemy of the people. If you're if you're a MAGA supporter, if you're an ultra MAGA, you're an enemy of the state. You're 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 a domestic terrorist. You're a threat to democracy. Let's all hug now in unity. The way that we saw this speech uh, is that he was talking to majority of the country who, uh, who agree that uh, we have to protect our democracy, uh, who agree that we have to protect our freedom, who agree that we have to protect our rights. And the point of the speech was that he wanted to really... More of our rights have been violated by the stooge-in-chief that we have right now more of our rights have been violated in the last year and a half than have been violated since the Civil Rights Act, at the, at the very, bare minimum. Seriously. Our rights to exist, our rights to assemble, our rights to go to church, our rights to not lose our jobs, our rights to, you know, unless we take the jab, our rights to breathe free air. More of our rights have been violated by this administration, and she's going to sit here and tell us that he was talking to the majority of Americans who agree that we have to protect our rights and our democracy. You are attacking all of the above every single time that babbling, dementia-addled, slurring loser opens his pie hole. Point to an inflection point, an inflection time that we were we were in at this in this time in our country. Uh, he also ended the speech in a very optimistic way in trying to bring people together, and. Um, and so I'll, I'll just leave it there. Yeah, you, you, you go ahead and do that, uh, Kareen. Um, let's find let's find out what um, somebody else thinks about our black and gay press secretary, who's black and gay. Did you know that she's that's that's how she got the job. Let's see how Ted Cruz feels about that diversity hire. Schools down during COVID, and then sent his kids to in classroom learning at yep. private school. So you got into it with. Jean-Pierre, the press secretary that reads a binder for a living, you invited her down to the border very respectfully and politely to see what's actually happening. And here is her response. Let's listen. I certainly don't need lectures uh, or invitations from Republicans about the border or uh, border policies. And, um, you know, and I certainly won't take advice on border from from anyone who voted uh, against uh, securing record level of funding uh, for the Department of uh, Homeland Security. Uh, Did you think that was a little rude, Senator? Oh, look, what, what it is is fundamentally dishonest. And, and Jesse, listen, we're used to political flags spinning. Both sides do that. Democrat press flags do it. Republican press flags do it. What we're not used to, what is unusual, is to see a White House press secretary that will stand there and just flat-out lie. She was asked about people walking across the border, and she said, nobody's doing it. That's not happening. Nobody is walking illegally across the border. 
And that's not just a little bit wrong. It is wildly, completely 180 degrees false. In the last year and a half, four and one half million illegal immigrants have walked or swum or been on a raft across the border. All of that is because of Joe Biden's open border policy. And so she's just flat out living in an alternate reality. So I invited her to come to the border. She said, I'm not going to be lectured by a Republican senator, what you just played right there. And then I came back and said, I'll tell you what, come to the Rio Grande Valley, spend one hour, 60 minutes, come out with me in the Border Patrol Union on Midnight Patrol. I guarantee you, in 60 minutes, we will encounter multiple groups of illegal aliens coming across, dozens, if not hundreds. And here's what I said the stakes would be. Let's invite the entire Washington press corps. If we go out for an hour and we don't encounter anyone, I'll stand in front of the press corps and say, I was wrong. But let me tell you, Jesse, that ain't going to happen because we're going to encounter dozens or even hundreds of people. And so I've asked the simple question, does, does Corrine Jean-Pierre, does she have the, the integrity, does she have the courage when she sees dozens and hundreds of illegal aliens in any one hour to say, I lied to you? And if she doesn't, why is Joe Biden paying her to lie to the American people? And why are the docile sheep in the press room, why is every one of them not writing on the front page of the paper, pants on fire? If they're not, they're complicit in lying to the American people. Um, Senator Cruz, I would dare say... Can you dig it? That... That was outstanding. Let's go to the phone calls, 216-901-0945 and 888-281-1110. We'll talk, uh, talk to Simca, if I'm saying that correctly, in Cleveland. Thanks for joining us. You're on the air. Go right ahead. Thank you so much, Bob, for taking my call. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm so shocked when I talk to people, acquaintances, and they are totally unaware of what they're, the teachers are taking the children to drag shows, and they're taking them to, like, Boston Hospital, where they're actually performing surgery and cutting off the male part and people don't know what's going on the parents don't know until it's already done and my question is how is the uh conservative movement letting the average person know about this because they sure aren't reporting these things in uh, you know the conservative tv news and etc so how are the republicans conservative people getting the word out to everyone well, I think they're doing it. Uh, you know, and, you know, I can I can kind of answer that question by by not answering it too. Um, you know, you're getting the word out right now. I get the word out every day to as many people as I can reach, and we use our social media uh, uh, connections to also get the word out on all of these things, on what teachers are doing. On and, and you know, the best part about it is so many of them are getting the word out themselves. For some reason, preschool teachers and primary school teachers, and like today's discussion with Dr. Piper, a high school teacher, they go online and they post videos of themselves talking about all of the inappropriate sexualization of children that they are doing. But here's the other part of it. When I say, I'll tell you how we do it without, you know, without being able to do it, is there is an ongoing effort to censor and suppress all of those people who are sharing that information including you and me, trying to warn parents, trying to tell them to get involved and find out what's going on in their kids' classrooms and in their schools and mm-hmm. so forth. And it's not just the big tech companies anymore that are doing it. It's the government. 
And and right now, this there is a lawsuit. I talked about this briefly. I'm going to talk about it with Patrick Wood at 1110. There is a lawsuit Ooh. filed by two states so far and joined by civil rights organizations. A lawsuit against the Biden administration for colluding with um, the big tech companies to censor information that they do not want to be revealed, whether it be about COVID, whether it be about trans, some of the things that you and I are talking about right now. The government right. is literally trying to censor information that um, is perhaps damaging and dangerous to their agenda. They want to keep people in the dark. So your question moments ago, Simka, is a very good mm-hmm. one. How do we get the information out? of what's going on in these schools. Um, and we yes. have to use every resource that we have available to us. And right now, they're trying to take at least one of those resources away, and that is the ability to use the digital town square that is our social media accounts uh, to share this information with others. And again, it's not just Mark Zuckerberg. It is literally the federal government that is colluding. That's what this lawsuit is all about. And we just got a huge win in that lawsuit because a district court judge has ordered... Uh, uh, the White House press secretary, Corinne Jean-Pierre, who's gay and black. Yes, you didn't know she's gay and black. Uh, and, oh, um, I do. And, uh, and Dr. Fauci, among others, have to, res- oh. uh, have to turn over all of their documentation of their conversations representing the federal government with the big tech companies. So that collusion is, is, uh, is, is, is real, and it is about to be exposed. Simcoe, are you still there? Oh, yeah, I thought I I was done. I just wanted to get that part out there. I'll give you the last word here of our conversation. Thank you. Okay, that'll be our... You know, oh, I'm sorry. I just uh, hope that everybody will do what we can, and if you have any advice on what uh, the individual like myself can do that would get to more people, then, you know, whatever you can tell us, we appreciate it, and we want to work together to get these crazy, evil people out of our children's schools yeah well and and moreover uh more likely we're gonna have to get our children out of those schools uh and that is a huge huge part of the uh the equation as well school choice is so incredibly important getting charter schools and getting publicly funded charter schools uh so that um uh, you know, you don't have to have your kids, you know, become enslaved by the uh, the type of uh, indoctrination that they're getting in the public schools right, right. now. Thank you so right. much. I appreciate the call, Simca. Let me go to Westlake next, and that's Charlie on AM 1420, The Answer. Hi, Charlie. Go ahead. Hey, Bob. Thanks for taking the call. I was listening to Dr. Piper, and I really do think the timing of this uh, speech that Biden gave and the visuals are, are, you know, it's right before an election. They're trying to, to incite us. I really think and trap us just the way january 6th was a big you know they try to incite that and entrap us and now that we've got hundreds of political prisoners well they want to be able to use this as a way to you know gain more power maybe martial law because we're fascists and uh, and also they're giving permission to all these election workers to cheat because why not cheat on fascists right you know racists and fascists are the same thing and so i really don't i think we really have to resist going to violence and as much as we can just keep saying that do not fall for the trap well you're a hundred percent right um i i I don't know if there's going to be an actual declaration of martial law but uh, we've been covering this for the last several weeks federal bureaucracies federal agencies that have no earthly business whatsoever arming themselves to the teeth like our military does are arming themselves to the teeth 
We've talked about the number of weapons. We've talked about the rounds of ammunition that have been purchased by the IRS, by the FDA, by Health and Human Services, by um, uh, the EPA, the Environmental Protection Agency. Uh, they're, they're advertising jobs for these agencies and saying must be willing to use deadly force. So if these individuals in the federal bureaucracies are not in the military, that means they're not going to be used to point those weapons and fire that ammunition at enemies. They're not going to be firing them at foreign enemies because they're not in our military. They are domestic. Why are they arming up unless they are potentially going to be pointing those weapons at citizens? So, and I'm not, and I'm not being, I'm not trying to be um, hyperbolic here. I'm not trying to be exaggerating. I'm literally telling you what we can prove. How many of these weapons and rounds that they have purchased in recent years, and we're wondering what they're for. And if they're, since they can't be used against foreign because they're not, uh, like I said, these are not military members. They are to be used domestically. So whether they call it martial law or not, what you said, Charlie, is right. Don't be goaded. Don't be baited. Don't be triggered into doing anything violent because you better believe that they are going to be prepared. I mean, hell, Joe Biden actually threatened everybody saying, we'll use F-15s. If you think you can beat us, you're going to need F-15s. We've got F-15s. I mean, they're literally threatening, uh, you know, the American people who disagree with them. Um, you know, with uh, with military assault or, like I said, with uh, assault from domestic agencies. Yeah, look, they want us to rebel because they know they can crush it and then they can take power. With they don't need elections anymore once they take total power. So, yeah. our 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 the ballot is the only way. It's got to be fair elections, and we have to do it at the ballot. Well, you know, and the other thing, thank you for the call, Charlie. I appreciate it. The other thing that Charlie just said, which is true, too, is, you know, they, they label us fascists. They label us enemies of the state, which makes it easier for people to support violent actions against us. And it's kind of the same thing that many people said in the aftermath of the stolen 2020 election. If you truly believe, as the left did, that Donald Trump was Hitler reincarnate, that he was... Li- if, if, if a real Hitler, the real Hitler, were alive today and running a country, particularly the most powerful country in the world, what wouldn't we do to stop him? Would we cheat in an election? Hell yes, we'd cheat to stop Hitler. Right? So, the left truly believed that Trump was Hitlerian. That he was Hitler 2.0. And we're supposed to just think that they wouldn't cheat to stop the man that they truly believe to be Hitler? That it's just so outrageous, it's just conspiracy, 2,000 mules, it's all made up, it's all lies, the the hacking into the voting machines, the late night, uh, well, we're going to stop counting for the night, and then the next morning we started counting again, and guess what, there's 90,000 more votes for Joe Biden. All of that stuff, we're supposed to, no way they would ever do anything dishonest to stop Hitler, right? My goodness. That's where the labeling of fascists comes in. Charlie is right. It makes it easier to do things to us that they wouldn't be able to do to us otherwise. I'll be back. Okay, 1056, time for another call or two here before the top of the hour, and then we're going to talk to Patrick Wood after that, the Executive Director of Citizens for Free Speech, about that very subject I was discussing earlier. Um, 
And that is the collusion between the federal government and the big tech companies to silence all dissent. It is, uh, there's a lawsuit against the federal government right now that is making huge, huge gains. And we'll talk about that with him. But first, um, Cleveland Heights and Barbara next, AM 1420, The Answer. Hi, Barbara. Go right ahead. Hey, you were talking about voting making the difference. Um, I just want to bring up the idea of the ranked choice voting that took place in Alaska after the uh, death of the congressman. And that is um, how Star Palin lost. It's very convoluted and it's very confusing. But basically, you, you vote for your first choice, second choice and third choice candidate. And if your first choice doesn't make it, you have the second choice it's very murky, very, very murky, and I think it's um, catching on in a lot of uh, states that are sort of, they want it to catch on in the red states to turn them purple, and it seems to be a real turning point, a real murky point that is trying to be pushed. Um, so I'd be interested in more information um, on that. And then also I want to say just that there's a movie that just came out called My Son Hunter, and yeah. I don't even think, I don't even think that the the preview is family friendly, but um, I'm happy that that's finally coming out. And I guess we'll see. Well, I'm glad you brought up the ranked choice voting. Let me just give you what I have on that. Thank you so much for the phone call. Here's how ranked choice voting. I've looked this up because I saw what happened to Sarah Palin there as well. It's it's criminal. Uh, so I've looked this up and I've printed this out. So I have this in front of me because I know this is going to be a topic. Voters rank the candidates for this given particular office by preference on their ballots, like you said, first choice. If a candidate wins an outright majority of the first choice votes, meaning 50% plus one, then it's over. Then that person is the winner. If no candidate wins an outright majority of the first choice votes, the candidate with the fewest first choice votes is eliminated. So then we're left with the remaining candidates. All first preference votes for the failed candidate are eliminating, lifting the second preference choices indicated on those ballots. A new tally is then conducted to determine whether any of the candidates won an outright majority of the adjusted voters. Again, 50% plus one. And they repeat that process until a candidate wins a majority of the vote cast. So they eliminate them one by one. It is ridiculous. I think it is criminal. It does not reflect the will of the voters. But that's exactly what happened in uh, in Alaska. And you're right. That is exactly what is going to happen in a lot of other states if we aren't very, very careful. We'll take a time out now for news. Come back. Doctor, or not doctor, but Patrick Wood, executive director of Citizens for Free Speech, will join us on AM 1420, The Answer. Don't have time to call in? Try the sound off feature on alwaysright.us and make your voice heard. This hour of Always Right Radio is brought to you by The Floor King and Keeping Medicare Simple. You and I know and do not believe that life is so dear and peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery. If nothing in life is worth dying for, when did this begin? just in the face of this enemy? Or should Moses have told the children of Israel to live in slavery under the pharaohs? Should Christ have refused the cross? Should the patriots at Concord Bridge have thrown down their guns and refused to fire the shot heard round the world? The martyrs of history were not fools. And our honored dead, who gave their lives to stop the advance of the Nazis, didn't die in vain. Where then is the road to peace? Well, it's a simple answer after all. You and I have the courage to say to our enemies, there is a price we will not pay. There is a point beyond which they must not advance. 
is Always Right Radio with Bob France on AM 1420, The Answer. Hour number three underway now. Thanks for being with us. Nine minutes past 11 o'clock. It is a Thursday, the eighth morning of the ninth month of the year of our Lord, 2022. So, the State Attorney General of Missouri, Eric Schmidt, has teamed up with the State Attorney uh, General of Louisiana, uh, Jeff Landry. The two of them have filed a lawsuit against the Brandon administration, alleging that the administration colluded with big tech giants in Silicon Valley, their owners, their CEOs, their uh, moderators, their algorithm writers, etc., with a very blatant and flagrant attempt to censor American speech, specifically speech that presents a dissenting point of view on COVID policy, particularly speech that said, you know, there are a lot of studies that say masks don't work and are harmful to people. Speech that says these quote-unquote vaccines, these shots that are being forced on people, may not be safe for all people and that they may not actually do what they say they're supposed to do, which is prevent inocula- or prevent infection by inoculating people. Anybody who wanted to say those things was being banned from saying those things, not just by big tech, which is a problem enough, but by the federal government. That's the allegation of the two attorneys, in, uh, attorneys general, rather, uh, in this story. The update to the story is this. A U.S. district court has now ordered the Department of Justice to produce records from key White House and Health and Human Services officials like Dr. Anthony Fauci, the White House Press Secretary, Corrine Jean-Pierre, and others. More than 50 Biden officials in 12 federal government agencies have been exposed for colluding with big tech to censor opponents of the official narrative. So this lawsuit just got a huge shot in the arm by this district judge and also by the joining of the uh, in the lawsuit rather by some of the most prominent civil rights organizations in America. Joining us now to react to this and talk about what this means for free speech, for first amendment rights in the United States is the executive director of an extraordinarily important organization, one in which I am involved, and that's Citizens for Free Speech. Patrick Wood, back with us on AM 1420, The Answer. Patrick, good morning. How are you? Good morning, Bob. Doing great, thank you. It's a great story that you're covering here, very foundational to what we need to do in the near future here to to crack this free speech attack once and for all. How dangerous is it, Patrick, that the government, I mean, you know, you and I have talked and we as have worked and we've presented at town hall meetings and webinars and such on these issues and on our, our podcast that you and I do together called Stand and Deliver, which I'll tell people about again in a moment. But you and I have talked about, you know, the private businesses that are, um, you know, the, the social media companies censoring people's First Amendment rights. And some people have said, well, that's not really a First Amendment issue because these are social media companies, they're private businesses, they can do what they want. But we've covered that um, ad nauseum. What we haven't covered and what we have now just discovered is that there is coordination and collaboration and collusion with the federal government. Now, that's a horse of a different color, isn't it? It's totally 
Yeah, totally so. And it's important to note here, just in case anybody gets a little bit confused about the story, because, you know, they want to have it confused. So we can straighten this out just a little bit by understanding that the charges here, when we say that there's 50 Biden administration employees and 12 U.S. agencies involved in this, they actually, attorneys now, actually have documents. They have the the actual emails that were sent back and forth and the records of conversations that have taken place. This is not a fishing expedition. This is now morphing into a hard evidence, and these attorneys general are saying, basically, we're going to follow this trail until the end and break this thing up. This is a huge, huge network of collusion that's taken place between the Biden administration, um, and it probably went on before that, too, to some extent, but especially the Biden administration uh, across all the social media platforms. This, you know, this whole business that when a Facebook said, well, we're, we're a private company, you know, we can do whatever we want, that was a complete smokescreen to cover up the collision that's been going on between our government and these same social media companies. It's altogether different now. This is now really morphed into criminal territory. And it's going to be interesting to see how, these, uh, how this lawsuit goes forward. But they are in discovery phase now, which means they have the power of subpoena and the power of the court to extract more information from the government and also from the social media companies to put the whole network together. We're talking with Patrick Wood, the executive director and founder of uh, Citizens for Free Speech, about this extraordinary lawsuit, which came um, on the heels of something we have also discussed, Patrick, and that is you know, an interview that Mark Zuckerberg, the Facebook and Meta CEO, did in which he revealed that he was approached by the FBI uh, at around the time of the Hunter Biden laptop story, or maybe just the Biden laptop story, because it implicates his father as much as it does Hunter in a number of crimes. Um, but in the uh, fall of 2020, particularly in October, you know, about a month before the election, all of this stuff came out, and Zuckerberg said he was approached by the FBI and told, you know, there's going to be a bunch of disinformation coming out, and you should suppress it. You should not allow this disinformation be, to be trafficked across Facebook. That's what prompted this um, uh, this lawsuit by Schmidt and Landry, and has others joining it now. This is extremely important because people, uh, you know, people are for, for the first time finding out from the eyewitnesses and in fact the 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 involved parties like zuckerberg that yes the federal government now we don't know who the fbi was acting on behalf of but that's why there's the lawsuit we've yet to find out did the fbi do this alone did they do this upon orders from the doj and attorney general garland did they do this on orders from from above that you know all the way into the oval office and the only way to find that out is to see the documentation and according to the joint statement released the Department of Justice has already turned over communications between a number of federal officials and social media companies, but has refused to provide communications between top-ranking officials and social media companies. And those top-ranking officials, Patrick Wood, are the ones that we're talking about here. We're talking about possibly AG. We're talking about maybe even as high as the Oval Office. Yes, exactly right. And the fact that this is spread across the entire administration says something all by itself. There's 12 U.S. agencies involved with this, and it's all the usual suspects, I suppose. It's like, you know, the DHS and, and uh, the FBI and, and uh, the Department of Justice and so on. But there's also some other agencies that you wouldn't really expect might have a say in this, but they're involved too. 
the fact that this is spread across 12 U.S. agencies indicates that there's a higher level of control going on, pressing down into these various agencies the, the policy of using social media contacts and so on to provide censorship material. And uh, this has not been proven yet, but it only makes this, it, it makes sense on the surface of it for sure. You can't have 12 U.S. agencies just independently, all by just a coincidence, whatever, involved in this thing at the same time with the same narrative. There has to be some top-down coordination going on. And uh, I think they're, you know, they have a, a chance for the first time in this whole COVID debacle, for sure, for the first time we have a possibility of penetrating this censorship cartel completely and just breaking it wide open. This could morph into being the greatest scandal of at least a decade, not a century. You know, it may be. It may be worse than that. And it, and moreover, it may lead to other scandals that will dwarf this one, uh, quite literally. If they Absolutely. can silence people from sharing information that challenges the prevailing narrative of, an, uh, you know, a governmental administration like the Biden administration and uh, their, their, you know, their mandates and so on and so forth, if they can do this uh, to the people about that, what else would they be willing to silence people over to cover up what? You know, I mean, we're finding out more and more the CDC is essentially coming clean about so many of the things that they had ordered before not being accurate, so many of the things that they thought before not being accurate. There's more and more evidence of people becoming ill, if not dying, after receiving their vaccines and whether or not causation can be proven there. All of this stuff, Patrick, is is coming out now, and it would be, uh, you know, for, for all of this information to be silenced, of course, would be very, very dangerous. If they can do it for this... You know, why wouldn't they silence people who want to expose information about a corrupt election? Why wouldn't they silence people with, uh, you know, who, who, uh, and journalists too? We got to remember, you know, it, it was journalists, of course, who broke Watergate. It was journalists who are, it is journalists, intellectually curious, uh, journalists who need to have access to be able to find information, to gather information, to share information, to make the people aware of corruption within its government. And they shut down the New York Post. They went to um, every other news agency when that laptop story broke, uh, and they told them, do not, do not publish this. We have good information from a whole bunch of retired intelligence officers who say this is Russian disinformation. Don't let this information get out there because it might impact the way people vote. And we don't want people to vote for the other guy. We want the, the, the people to vote for our guy. So, I mean, that's how impactful this is. It's, it's more than just giving people their First Amendment rights. It's literally attempting to change and shift uh, outcomes, if you will, in, Amer- yeah. in American life, in, American, you know, in, in, in the United States of America as a whole. Yes, in fact, it has changed the political structure, the, at least the, the voting structure of America. And um, you know, this has already been adequately documented by, uh, you know, by professional experts that... Uh, uh, the deal with such things, Google, for instance, has had the ability to shift hundreds of thousands of votes simply by manipulating the search engine in front of people who come to search for information. Yep. Uh, this has been documented. This is not just hearsay. It's not just speculation. It's not some stupid conspiracy theory. This has been documented beyond a shadow of a doubt. Facebook has done the same thing. When Zuckerberg admitted that he, that he had had a, a, a contact from the FBI, to suppress the information on on uh, Hunter Biden's laptop, mm-hmm. this skewed the election results because if that story had broken like it should have at the time, probably President Biden would never have become President Biden. 
um, it would have been totally devastating, devastating to that uh, election campaign. Well, you know what? We need, as Americans, we, we need to let the chips fall where they may, not to be manipulated and skewed um, and, and you're creating a web of lies to protect Americans from whatever they, you know, they think is the truth. This is absolutely insane. So these people now, and, and this will come out too, these social media giants have contributed, have made, in a sense, made contributions in kind to these political campaigns by being used, by allowing themselves to be used for censorship. They have not declared themselves as, you know, having contributed any money. This is patently illegal, totally. You can't do that. You cannot give in kind to a political contribution or a political campaign without declaring what you have done, what you've given in kind. They've never done that. In fact, they've said just the opposite. No, we have nothing to do with that. We don't. Uh, we would never do anything like that. But this is this is just a can of worms, and it's going to be completely exposed in the end, I believe. Patrick Wood, you just blew my mind. I hadn't even considered that. You're 100% right. If If they take actions... Uh, if particularly at the behest of the government, but even if not, if they take actions to suppress campaign messaging that might be damaging to a candidate that they support, they have indeed made political contributions to the campaign of the candidate they support, and thus in-kind contributions have to be reported. Campaign finance laws demand it. And if that is what happened here, I mean, I think, you know, you, you kind of, you kind of guessed that it may have changed the outcome. President Biden wouldn't be President Biden. There's no guessing about it. Tucker has talked about this. There were polls that were done in the battleground states that decided the election in Michigan, in uh, in uh, Arizona, where you are, in Georgia, and I think it was in Pennsylvania. And I believe one in five Democrat, well, I'm sorry, not Democrat voters, Biden voters, one in five Biden voters said that if they'd have known about that laptop and the realities of it before the election, it would have changed their votes. That's one in five. That's 20%. If 20% of the votes shift in those battleground states, Trump wins those states going away, and he is very easily and comfortably reelected as president. And again, you don't have to like Trump. You don't have, this isn't about that. It's about the law and it's about fundamentally uh fundamental fairness i guess um and, and how that is being denied by these individuals who who conspire to censor well you know there have been plenty of people that have been uh jailed for less crimes uh involving campaign finance law <laughs> and uh you know if a, if a millionaire or billionaire comes along and launders money and say gives a million dollars to some candidate and they don't report it uh, and then they intentionally try to cover it up. Oh no, I didn't do that. You know, I, that, that was just something else. Um, you know, things like that have been uncovered, and those people end up being prosecuted and sent to jail. I'm not saying that this is going to happen in this case here, but it's the same principle, same idea. These right. people have covered their trail. They've covered their tracks and said, "Oh, we're just a private organization. We can do whatever we want to do." And you know, if we want to censor somebody, we'll censor somebody. Well, not with the collusion of our government, you won't. You know, that's just not with the collusion with a, you know, with a particular political party you want. This whole thing is going to fall apart, and it needs to fall apart because it's absolutely outrageous. And Americans just should be incensed about this right now. I encourage people to get behind these, these two attorneys general, write them a letter of thanks, and say, go get them, Tigers. Um, this needs to be exposed, and for the first time we have it in court now, where we have the power of subpoena to block, pull these documents in and find out what the heck really happened. 
I would do more than just support those attorneys general. I would encourage every state attorney general, anybody within the sound of my voice right now. We're a Cleveland radio show, but the Internet makes me national in some ways. There are people listening around the country. I would hope people would contact their own attorney general and say, hey, we want you to join this lawsuit. This cannot be. And, Pat, let me drive it back here. As we wrap this up to the uh, the first part of it, rather than the laptop story, let's talk about the um, the COVID policies story that they were trying to silence as well. You you and I have talked about this. The Great Barrington Declaration is an extraordinarily important document written by some of the world's top or the country's top epidemiologists and immunologists about the response to COVID. Um, their declaration was considered to be pseudoscience. It was just completely dismissed by the quote unquote. Um, uh, senior scientist, Dr. Fauci, called himself science itself, uh, and others essentially dismissed the Great Barrington Declaration, and that, along with the doctors who wrote it, was canceled. It was, it was, you know, essentially removed from circulation, and and this is bigger to me almost than even the laptop story that you and I are discussing right now, because there's going to be another pandemic. I don't know when, five years, five months, 20 years, I don't know. You know, they're calling this one the worst one since the 1918 Spanish flu, but whenever it's going to be, there's going to be another health emergency. Remember the uh, avian flu? Remember the, you know, a number of other things that we have had? And if, if the scientists are going to be shut down and shut out by the government uh, by way of collusion with these social media companies, are we doomed, Patrick Wood, in your opinion, to go through what we just went through with COVID and lockdowns and restrictions and so forth? Yes, it's, it's all really it's all connected to the same uh, the same media cartel and government uh, you know collusion uh, cartel. They they express themselves in multiple ways, and uh, my guess is the reason that they have been able to do that once they got control of this mechanism, once they felt that they had the conduits open to do so, they use it for multiple purposes. I, I don't think that would be surprising at all that uh, that they use it for you know like the laptop issue, and then they'd use it for COVID issues or they use it for election issues. They've used it for multiple things. But the point is the cartel exists. We know it exists now. And exposing it and dealing with it, shutting it down, is going to be what's in front of us. And I think there will be a host of issues all of a sudden that get miraculously resolved by shutting down this media censorship cartel. Patrick Wood is the executive director and founder of Citizens for Free Speech. Patrick is also the co-host of the Stand and Deliver podcast that I do with him uh, for Citizens for Free Speech. You can hear that podcast. There's a new episode downloaded every single uploaded for us. You have to download it for yourself. Um, Every single Friday. So tomorrow there will be a new one. You can get it on your Google Podcast. You can get it on Podbean. You can get it on Spotify, Amazon, Pandora, iHeart, and Player FM, among other places. So make sure. You can also just go to citizensforfreespeech.org every Friday and download the newest edition of Stand and Deliver, in which we discuss matters involving the First Amendment, uh, our rights, and how they are consistently under assault. And we strategize on things that can be done about that. So make sure that you check that out each and every Friday. Stand and deliver with Patrick Wood and myself. Patrick, uh, thank you for, for shining a spotlight on this huge development, a huge win in the district court uh, for us uh, in that lawsuit, forcing documentation to be turned over uh, from the federal government to show their collusionary efforts with the big tech uh, giants. And hopefully there are only uh, more revelations to come so that we can uh, work on 
you know, alleviating that problem. We really appreciate you shining a spotlight on it, Patrick Wood. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Thank you, Bob. All right. It's 1129. We took it all the way to the bottom. We'll have a short segment to go, but that'll be next on Always Right Radio. This hour of Always Right Radio is brought to you by Keeping Medicare Simple and The Floor King. We have to have, I think, two minds about this. No one is above the law. And the rule of law in a democracy, uh, you know, has to be our standard. But we should not rush to judgment. Um, <clears throat> that was Hillary Clinton on The View, talking about Mar-a-Lago and whether or not Donald Trump should be indicted. No one is above the law, she said. No one is above the law, says the woman who lied and covered up her husband's decades of sexual assault and rape of Juanita Broderick. For years, Hillary Clinton lied to protect herself when it came to her own classified documents. She lied to protect the Obama administration when radical Islamic terrorists overran Benghazi and they completely, she as Secretary of State, completely ignored the pleas, the pleas that came from, uh, from uh, Ambassador Chris Stevens and from uh, uh, the other, the other uh, leadership at the uh, Benghazi compound that led to the deaths, by the way, of Stevens and Sean Smith and Ty Woods and, uh, and uh, Glenn Doherty. She lied about that. She should have been prosecuted so many different times, so many, dif- so many different ways, And she's going to tell us that no one is above the law. You know, lock her up, lock her up wasn't a political chant when that was going on. Back in, uh, you know, uh, after Benghazi, and she lied and told the world it was about a video that was made in the United States that made fun of Mohammed, that inspired and led to that, that terrible attack. I mean, lock her up wasn't a political chant. It was a, please do justice here. She has been... Literally a criminal and a felon for a very, very long time. And she's doing more damage with with every day that goes by. I had a ton of audio I didn't get to today, but that was one of my did need to get before get to before we're done here. Hillary Clinton on the view talking about who should be above the law and who should not be above the law. And it is interesting that she did qualify her remark at the end of that by saying, however, we shouldn't rush to judgment. And maybe that's because she knows that people rushed to judgment, had rushed to judgment with her. She would have been in, j- in a jail cell in shackles years and years and years ago. Second one I want to wrap with uh, this uh, this morning. We're going to hand this off to Bill O'Reilly here in just a few minutes to take you until Charlie Kirk at noon. And then Charlie Kirk's going to take you to Prager, and then we're going to take you to uh, Seb Gorka. We're going to take you to Sacculo. We're going to take you into uh, Officer Tatum. So stay right here all day if you truly want the truth of what's going on. This is a story about the exact opposite of truth. I want to wrap with a new survey that has been conducted uh, by WPA Intelligence, reported by the Daily Wire. According to the most recent survey of American Democrats, 
nearly one in every four of them believe men can get pregnant. 22% of Democrats say they believe the prompt that men can get pregnant. 36% of white, college-educated female Democrats. So now that's more than a third. White, college-educated, that means they had to have been exposed to science, biology, anatomy, at some point in their college careers. Somewhere. Hell, most of that comes in your junior high science class. But more than a third of them believe that men can get pregnant. WPA Intelligence Managing Director Connor McGuire said, with a 36% of a core Democratic constituency of college-educated white Democratic women and one out of almost one out of four Democratic voters overall believing that men can get pregnant, you can see why Democrat leaders coddle their radical gender theory movement. Now you know why they are willing to sell out your kids. Now you know why they are willing to allow your kids to be sexualized in school. Now you know why they're willing to allow your kids to be recruited and 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 groomed in school. Now you know why. Because these people are Democrat voters, and they must appeal to them. And that's why they say that. And I will say this in response. If you look me in the eye and say to me that you truly believe men can get pregnant and give birth and carry babies then there is nothing you can ever, ever, ever say to me that I would believe again. Nothing. You could stand in the rain and tell me you're wet, and I would not believe it. If you believe that men can get pregnant, nothing you say will ever be believed again. And that's why the Democrat Party is going down to defeat in November. That's why the Democrat movement is going to shrivel up and die like all others of its type. Truth cannot be defeated, and I will stay with truth. That's all the time that I have for you today. Thanks to my guests. Thanks to my crew. Thanks to you for listening. Have a great day. Be well, be safe, stay free. Let's go, Brandon.